And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 243, aka season 3, episode 63. That's a lot of threes. Uh, coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and Ken Schooling. See, Ken knows to say the and on his own. Kyle, we had to take that te- two takes last week because Kyle couldn't say and, so I had to throw in the and for Kyle. That's okay. Ken knows to say and. Welcome back, Ken Schoolin. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, with Ken being here, we still got calling numbers 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so, Happy Thanksgiving, both of y'all. A few days past Turkey Day. Uh, what's going on over there? Uh, drama. Drama. Um, Uh-oh. No. Uh, I mean, so my favorite topic is the, the global warming uh, crisis still. Um, it's, it's, the ne- it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> as far and it's as been like, giving for decades now. Let's be clear. We could, sure, you know. sure. Yeah. And... and so that that's that's my pet issue, but I think we had uh, another issue that arose from uh, I don't know, like I don't know, freedom of speech, freedom of speech issues or property rights issues, uh, because some protesters tried to shut down people who are uh, anti-crisis. I'm gonna, before we get into that, I'm going to call you out real quick, MC. Your pet issue used to be uh, U.S. foreign policy. Have you given up on that? Is that no longer a big thing? Have we? Has the um, wars ended to your satisfaction now, where we can move on to, to bigger well, and better? Well, that things? was that was the issue that got me in, involved in politics. Okay. So, uh, I, I yeah, my pet issue changes uh, depending on on what I'm feeling. And now it's global warming and and antifa and, and whatnot. So you said there's some controversy, uh, some protesters stopping free speech. Uh, what exactly happened? Because I know we talked a little bit about this pre-show, but fill us everyone else in. What exactly happened to to raise your ire? Well, I was uh, hosting. Uh, well, a friend he came to visit me last uh, last two weeks ago. Uh, he's from Germany, and he um, is the head of an organization that is uh, uh, challenging a lot of the assumptions about. Uh, uh, climate change, and he was hosting a conference that was supposed to come up this weekend in Germany about uh, uh, a number of scientists from all around Europe that were going to be talking about this. Okay. Do you want to give uh, that organization a quick shout out? Like, I don't care if you drop well, names. Frankly, I, I I don't remember offhand. I, okay. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Skip it then. So he was um, at my house, and then suddenly he had to return home quickly because the hotel that had booked his uh, his organization was ha, uh, had a, a protest from an Antifa group that's been it's been labeled a, a, an Antifa group um, that uh, protested this event going on there. So the hotel canceled the event just two weeks before it's uh, supposed to be held, and so he had to scramble back to find another venue that would accept it even though they they broke the contract he had already put a deposit down and people were scheduling you know booking rooms there but they broke the contract and and uh, left them in the cold so he found i just got an email from him saying that they had gone to another hotel Uh, actually they went to a number of hotels that that when they heard about the reason for the canceling they also refused to offer a venue and um, so finally they did get one and uh, just two days before the event was spe- to be scheduled, it, it actually even attracted more people to come to it because of the of the um, of the controversy. Of the, yeah. yeah, the controversy. And so we'll see. I guess uh, if it all goes out, goes goes on without a hitch. Um, but it it points out this uh, issue about how the Antifa movement is so riled up about any one challenging their point of view about uh, climate change that they don't allow them to speak. And and others are so intimidated and afraid of the bad, bad publicity and of the protests that they cancel uh, venues and won't, won't offer venues for this point of view. So the question I had pre-show, and I'll ask it again, uh, even though I, I know the answer, was what did Antifa do specifically to get the hotel to cancel? 
because there's there's a lot of issues kind of melded together here. Uh, you mentioned the broken contract, right? Uh, M- MC, you talked about the freedom of speech. Um, for me, uh, I don't really care what the goal is. Uh, you can call me out on that later. Uh, I don't really care what the goal is. It's the, the methods by which you go about attaining that goal that I usually take issue with. So if Antifa politely called the hotel, explained to them what kind of uh, what kind of uh, organization they were hosting, and the hotel decided to cancel the contract, right? I don't think that Antifa did necessarily anything wrong. The hotel maybe did something wrong, as you mentioned, Ken, by canceling the contract. Uh, but we can't blame that on Antifa, right? That's like that's a market signal being sent by one organization saying, like, hey, if you don't support this kind of 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 uh, organization, like if the hotel doesn't support uh, anti-climate change activism, um, then you may not want to host that group. And the hotel should be well within their right to to not host. Um, again, we can talk about the canceled contract, but I was specifically on the Antifa part for now. Um, or were they threatening violence? Did they say we're going to come down there and, and invade your property and trespass uh, and harm your hotel guests if you do host these people? Because to me, that's totally different ways to go about doing it. Um, one's more of a, a market-based boycott, right? Hey, uh, we don't think you should support this organization, and here's why. Uh, and one is, hey, we're going to hurt you if you support this organization um, because that's just what we do. So you're you don't I know you, I know you said you don't know, but your thoughts on the different ways uh, that an organization can go about getting their message across and getting their goals reached, even if you disagree with uh, the organization's goals. Um, well, they didn't just come call the hotel and say they, that they protested. They went to the venue, to their location. Now, I'm not sure um, if they were trespassing or on public property out in front of the venue. So I, I don't know whether or not it was a trespassing event, but clearly it was a very uh, raucous uh, protest uh, to draw a lot of media attention. And sure. I, I agree with you, there's nothing wrong with doing that um, unless it was a trespassing event. And if they were threatening to trespass to upset the uh, the event itself, I mean, clearly they were very upset that people were expressing a point of view that was different than theirs. And that, I, I really have a problem with um, with this kind of protest that uh, doesn't allow others uh, freedom of expression on a controversial issues. Um, well, and that's the a, thing. I want, but, I'm going to stop you real quick because they didn't they didn't disallow the speech. They disallowed the speech at that particular venue, right? Or, but I mean, they would do the same thing at any at any venue. Sure. Yeah, that that's the, their intention is to target any venue. In fact, they didn't even let out the the word of where the new venue was because they were expecting that they would just follow them around yeah. to wherever they were, which is a, a kind of a harassment. But again, if they're not using uh, force or, or violence, um, that's uh, uh, understandable. Yeah, I mean, but I, you're, I you're, think their ultimate uh, objective is to use the force of the state to impose their vision on, on state policy. And see, so, that's a, that's a third separate issue that we can, we, we can dive into, but the, the hotel issue specifically, if your friend, the organizer, right, decided that he was going to hold this, this mini conference, um, in his basement and have the panel of guests come in and do question and answer online, right. He was going to live stream it on his own servers, um, and do that. Then there's nothing that Antifa really could have done to stop the freedom of speech aspect of it. Right, the the speech could still be said. They still have the right to say what they said, as you, long as Antifa isn't violent. You said if he held it on his own property. Well, if he has a contract with the hotel, um, then in a sense that is his uh, right to carry out this thing. Now, it it's the problem. I I agree with the problem is with the hotel breaking a contract. That's essentially violating its obligation. I mean, yes. pe- people. When they make a contract, they do so with a good purpose that they put a lot of money and effort of publicizing it, uh, uh, arranging rooms, bookings, and, and you know, it, they a lot of money is invested in this. So when they just break a contract, it's not saying, oh, we changed our mind. No, it costs people a lot. Right. And so that's let's, why let's contracts get into that, have then. to have some kind of uh, some um, certainty. Well, they have to, they have to have some certainty. But there should also be an exit clause 
uh, with you know penalties or considerations for breach of that contract, right? Like there, there's there's no there's no contract that is so ironclad that you're never able to uh, remove yourself from. You might have to pay a penalty, right? There might be some way to say like, hey, we, if we breach this or whatever, there's some consideration given to the other party. Um, but I don't know what the situation is in this case. But it, it, the contract never like it's never a hundred percent bound. Um, which is why we have, you know, justice services, uh, arbit- arbitration services, um, and why one of the big things, one of the big topics within, you know, liberty-minded circles is dispute resolution, right? Because we all know that, you know, people aren't going to always agree on things, and when they don't agree, there's someone, need- a third party needs to be there to, to hash things out. And even with a contract, right, doesn't mean doesn't mean that both parties are going to agree uh, indefinitely to the terms of that contract, right? There's renegotiations, there's uh, you know, there's dispute resolutions, things come up. Um, so the question is: Yes, the hotel broke the contract, but what do they? What do they? What does the hotel need to do now that the contract is broken and they're not going to be able to use the venue to make the make your friend's organization whole again, make the people who are going to attend the conference whole again, whether it's hotels or travel fairs or whatever it takes. The hotel has some duty, um, but it's obviously not going to get settled uh, two weeks prior to the event. So then, what do you do? Well, I don't know the point in even continuing on with this discussion. If we're talking about this in a theoretical sense, then what you're saying is is worth discussing. But I don't know what the details of the contract were. I mean, yes, you're you're probably right that a contract allows for uh, uh, you know acts of nature. You know, there's an earthquake, and therefore you can get out of it, or a storm, and so on like that. So I don't know what the details of the contract were. I don't know if they had an arbitration clause. From what my friend indicated, he just suggested that the only recourse that he thought that he had to was to seek legal course and try and enforce the contract. Um, But even that, if you're going through the state, it takes a long time and a lot of money. And by then, it's a moot uh, case because two weeks is up. There's not enough time and not enough money to, to do that. Yeah, so which is could, why you'd be looking for some sort of from some sort of monetary settlement after the fact to to make up for right to make whole again, even though you're not going to be able to get them to honor the original contract, right? Unless you're getting I'm like guessing, an injunction. I'm guessing that there is no way of getting full monetary compensation for everything that's lost. I mean, if you you know because there's there are issues of reputation and of um, the coordination for you know getting. Uh, 200 uh, people to attend an event that's got uh, notable speakers from all over uh, the planet that have been organized for a year. I mean, you, you, though, I don't know how you put monetary compensation in there. It's very unlikely that a hotel for canceling at a venue is going to have to, is really going to make it whole again. Sure. Because okay. you can't step back in time. Right. So it may not be worthwhile continuing on this particular case. Uh, if you want to, just generally speaking, that's that's a different thing. But I, I, I don't know the details. Well, I, you know, like I said, there's a, there's a handful of issues to flush out. I don't I don't expect you to have all the details. So if you wanted to have a theoretical discussion, I think my question is still valid, right? You you said that the contract was written. They breached the contract. They they canceled the venue. Um, and if we're going to have contracts, right? I mean, that's that's a big thing within liberty minded people, right? Like and and advocates of liberty and freedom and anarchy and all that this is like you you have to have contracts that are uh unviolable right like you cannot violate the contract otherwise the entire system breaks down well that's generally bs right you you have to there has to be a workaround to that in theory uh and also in practice this case specifically um but other cases in general otherwise I've heard the case made that contracts are silly and you don't need them because in cases like this, yes, you have a contract. One side breaks it. There's no recourse. What was the point to begin with then? That's not a hypothetical. Okay. What's, what was well, the point? Why bother with the contract if one side can can break it without any without any recourse? Okay. So what's next? Um, I don't know what to, where, where you're going with this. I mean, I I'm not going anywhere. I'm asking questions. <laughs> well, the, the, goal, the goal is to have free speech and to have this conference. It 
pretty much do whatever we have to do to have this conference. Sure. So um, they found a way to do it. Uh, they found, you know, whether a con contract was involved or not, uh, they found a venue and uh, uh, it turned out, you know, somewhat, somewhat good. Um, okay. So I mean, the, the issue, you know, the, the contract is, is kind of a, a side issue. Uh, it was it was broken. There's nothing to uh, fix that, uh, except not go back to somebody who breaks contracts. Good. So the the hotel's reputation within this community is burned, sort of maybe. Who knows? At least within that organization, yes. And so now you know who not to do business with in the future. So it's an expensive lesson to be learned, right? Maybe yep. maybe put some sort of cancellation clause in the contract when with future organizations. I don't know. But that, like, like you said, that was a side issue. Um, we we kind of, I, I was still on the point of, you know, whether or not the hotel has an obligation to host, um, contract notwithstanding, whether or not Antifa's uh, methods for getting the hotel to back out of their agreement um, was valid, notwithstanding. And the, the third issue that yeah, you brought up, MC, was the freedom of speech issue and whether or not this particular instance is even a freedom of speech case. Well, if... So if the goal is to stop somebody's speech, that's that I, I would say that I think that would be grounds for uh, somebody violating somebody's rights. And I would I would say it depends on the venue, right? Because I can I can request that you either stop saying certain things in my, on my property or remove yourself from my property, right? That's not a freedom of speech issue. That's a property rights issue. So if we, if we want to base it on property rights, your freedom of speech extends only to the edge of your property line. And the, the, the other question that I asked uh, prior to, to hitting the record button here was have you, if you guys had seen the, uh, the little, it's, it's a short video of Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Borat, Ali G, that guy, um, basically advocating for the censoring um, on social media. Right, like shutting down opposition speech on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, wherever those things happen to be going on. And one of the, I don't agree with his overall assessment of the situation, um, but one of the things that he said that absolutely makes sense to me uh, is there's there's a difference between freedom of speech and freedom of reach, right? And in his mind, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, any other social media is a private platform. Right, that extends a courtesy to users uh, to uh, to allow them to use that platform, but it's not it's not a a blanket operation, right? It's it's not you can say whatever you want, and you can do whatever you want on their platform. They can restrict it as it is their platform and their property, um, and they can limit the reach of opposition speech as far as they want to. So if they want to, you know, if, if they want to stop taking advertisement dollars. Uh, from from the right wing people in order to get Trump uh, out of office, right? If Facebook wants to shut down pages, if YouTube wants to cancel channels, uh, that's well within their organizational rights because they own the property rights over those platforms. Now, you can say whatever you want. You can type whatever you want on your own computer, right? You can say whatever you want into your own microphone. Uh, you can yell however loud you want from your own porch, Right, but that doesn't mean that these uh, these companies or the hotel venue has the obligation to amplify that speech so it gets into more ears. That is not a free speech issue. Thoughts? Um, well, I mean, I would I would agree that any corporation or or a hotel or uh, you know any any service provided is. Uh, you know that's their business, whether they want to help help you do that or not. So right, um, and in this case, they wanted to help. They they signed a contract. They were convinced otherwise. I still I still maintain that the the way of convincing is disputable. Um, not that I agree with the tactics tactics of Antifa. I just think it depends on on what they did to to get their message across. Um, but yeah, and the hotel doesn't have a, any obligation to amplify the speech of this particular organization. And if they want to choose to back out and there was no, you know, there was nothing in the contract, presumably, you, you don't, I know we don't know. You don't know that. I don't. 
on the on the face of it, if you've got a contract without knowing that there's a back out clause, you have to assume they have to abide by the contract. If they had an objection to what they were saying, they should have investigated that before they made the contract. Absolutely. But if they've got a contract, you've got a venue for your event, and we and we don't have any objection to your event until somebody else comes along and says we're we're going to protest it. Well, sorry, I don't I don't think that's an excuse to say. Well, we're going to just change our mind and cancel the contract. I mean, and, and you don't know, and I don't know if there was some other clause in the contract, so we can't dispute that at all. Right. But I can say that if they have a contract to carry out a venue, they should carry out their contract. That's their word. I agree with you. And On with, that, I agree. Unless we know anything more about it, which we don't, then we have to say that they, they should carry out their contract. Well, and then again, my, my question would, if you want to get back to it, would still stand, is what do you do now as the organization? You can't, if, if you're going to, if you want them to, to uphold the rule, law of the contract, right, you walk yeah, into I, the hotel the I morning of the venue, I don't and think you set up in the room that you're supposed to set up in, and you hold your conference until you're thrown out by the police. I, I don't think they're too worried about what to do after. Um, they, it, it was something that had to be dealt with at the moment, and they did. Um, and if, if it happened again, it, they would have the same exact response. Um, okay. you know, uh, the, you know, the show must go on basically, right. uh, the, whether, whether or not that they, they get, uh, more justice after the fact, even if they get money, uh, given to them to support their own organization next year, um, it doesn't really solve the problem because, there's still a good chance that even even if the hotel lost money that that they wouldn't uh, honor the contract so sure so uh who's the bad guy here is it antifa is it the, is it the hotel chain is it the one specific employee who got a little uh, you know panties in a wad and canceled the oh, yeah i think it's i think it's the hotel chain for not honoring a contract okay fair I mean, enough I, I think that's i think that's kind of obvious um well, but, no, because we talked about Antifa and Antifa's tactics to get in the hotel chain to make that decision. Well, I, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, an act of violence or force or a violation of rights to object to the idea that the Antifa won't allow, uh, uh, does, you know, uh, doesn't like hearing words from other people. That is true. I mean, that's... Um, uh, offensive to me. I find it uh, reprehensible. I wouldn't ask the state to, to intervene. I don't. I don't think there's anything there. But um, that way of silencing opposition is the way you could say um, the Nazis, the brown shirts, silenced any defense of Jews in Hitler in, in Hitler's Germany during World in the 1930s. You know, you can say, well, they just intimidated people. They just uh, you know, uh, threatened uh, threatened them with words. Well, I'd say that that was a pretty reprehensible thing. They burned books uh, to to intimidate. They, um, you know, the, the, this sort of way of of silencing uh, speeches um, goes beyond just argument. You know, you're not saying here are reasons for disagreeing with you. Or we're going to put up a conference across the street that gives the reasons why you're you're wrong. It's not reason at all. It's intimidation. Okay. And, and, and if that's the case, then you're right. And I agree with you, which is what, but it's also why I said tactics, the tactics that they use mattered. Because if they are using intimidation tactics, um, then yes, reprehensible, right? If they're, if they're on public land out front holding protest signs, that's, that's one that we can delve into the problems of having public lands, right? If it's, if it's allowed, and they're not being shut down by you know the authorities because they're not breaking any laws and not violating any rights yeah. by you know standing out front holding signs. Well, that's you know. But I get it. I've seen videos of Antifa being and, very very violent, so I don't I don't yeah, excuse it, those tactics at all either. And but sometimes the the well Antifa Antifa will do things like block streets or uh, you know harass people in, in an area um, probably harass people trying to get into the venue uh, maybe block them from trying to get inside uh, maybe block other people from trying to get into the 
into the hotel just because Antifa doesn't like them. Sure. And, so and I would previously the, had said, run them over, right? Except we know how that turned out uh, with the with the Unite the Right rally um, in Virginia sure, a few sure. years ago. Um, so I think the hotel looked at it as just uh, easier to deal with the, the sane people that are trying to have the conference than the insane people that are trying to do, hold the protests. Now, the the worst part about it is that the police often sympathize or the government often sympathizes with the protesters. And, and so if they try to uh, disrupt commerce uh, or, you know, free movement of people in and out of buildings and, and such, then uh, often they will uh, block off the street and let them do hold their protest until the protest is over. Uh, but of course the protest w only existed because of somebody trying to exercise their free speech. So um, in that way, I, I think the, the just, the, the, I'm, I'm not ta talking legally, but uh, on the, on the basis of whether, whether it's a valid protest or a good protest or a bad protest, um, I would say that uh, simply stopping somebody's free speech is uh, uh, not a valid goal to uh, have for a protest. Right. I got you. I hear you. And, and generally, I would agree with you. But I, I, I want to be clear that I don't think Antifa stopped free speech. Uh, I thought I, I believe that they stopped the reach of the speech by, pro, by advocating that the hotel... Uh, you know, again, threats, force, intimidation, we don't know, so we can't assume. But we do know that it wasn't Antifa standing out front preventing this organization from entering the hotel. They weren't harassing conference goers from entering into the hotel. They protested the hotel and got the hotel to cancel the venue, right? That's, that's well, they, they weren't protesting the hotel. They were they were intimidating the, the hotel. Do we so know that? Because pretty well, sure we didn't know that. Because the... Well, the goal of the, the protests is, is usually not polite. It's usually not just putting signs outside. That is uh, true. They're, uh, they're, you know, on the other side of the street. So, um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, it's, 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 a like me and you, MC, we went down when Trump was first got elected and we held signs in front of like the Trump tower in, was it Waikiki sure, or whatever sure. in Hawaii? Mm -hmm. And there were, you know, we were holding, we, we had a sign that said Trump, not my president. And we had mm -hmm. another sign that said Obama, not my president, just to get the, you know, the economy going that we were there, not in favor of any rulers. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were standing on, you know, the public sidewalk. We weren't preventing anyone from entering or going, but we were definitely part of the group of protesters. Right. And then some dude came up from the other side and just with a bullhorn or megaphone or whatever you want to call it, and was just shouting down the protesters, Right. But he wasn't, you know, he wasn't intimidating. He wasn't threatening. But there was, there was definitely a group of protesters and a small minority of counter protesters in front of a public, you know, in on the public grounds in front of a private building, right? Advocating our 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 positions and our disagreement with the current situation. We weren't threatening, right? That's the difference between you know this type of protest and what Antifa typically does. Um, but it, was there something wrong with our protest? The way we were just, you know on the sidewalk occupying space in front of a private well, building well, in the hopes that people so, wouldn't so do business there? Here's, here's the thing. So here's, here's the proof that it was a threat because the conference didn't happen and so there was no protest. So if the conference had happened, then there would have been a protest. Okay. Now, um, you know, uh, you know, we would, we would have been, I mean, we, we protested, it wouldn't have mattered if there was a conference there at the hotel or not. We were protesting sure, uh, with other protesters and, you know, it's, it's because it was a speech issue for us. It wasn't an anti-speech issue. It was a pro-speech issue. So it was us, uh, give, you know, using our voice. And, and yes, we were in front of their hotel. They probably didn't want us there. Uh, but, but they couldn't do know, anything about it because it's well, public sidewalk. Yeah, basically, it was within our rights to be there and to have free speech, but uh, we weren't doing it to stop anybody from speeching. That wasn't the intent, uh, and 
and and of course we weren't you know, yeah yeah we if you don't have that intent then I th I think it matters yeah definitely okay fair enough and so and I, I would say I would say it definitely was a, a threat the threat was um, we're gonna cause a whole bunch of drama and 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 uh, chaos outside of your business establishment if you allow them to uh, have their speech here so it was it was a threat. Okay, so I want to I want to move back to the hotel perspective then, because Ken, you said that it was it was all the hotel for violating the contract. Um, can you blame a business owner for not wanting to lose money on someone else's political issue? Well, if you have a contract, yes, because you should have thought about that before you signed the contract. Agreed, <laughs> but we don't. But we don't know what the exit clause of the contract is. Right, it could have been like a hold harmless. We can cancel this anytime, up to twenty four hours before the venue, with no repercussions and no recourse, and that's just the way it is. Right, if that's the case, both people signed, and I know we don't know that's the case, Ken. Uh, so I don't want, I won't get into you know the yeah. ramifications of that. Um, but if there's yes. an exit, but if there's an exit in the contract and they were within their right to do so, so, so we don't know. Well, I, we've already I'm, answered that. I, I think it's yeah. fair to assume that there wasn't an exit clause. Or else he wouldn't have been considering legal action to to do so. If it was clear cut in the contract, oh, we can cancel it at our will, um, then there was no there's no challenge no challenge there to make. Okay. And then how is the business owner supposed to know that a protest is coming? Right? Are they do they research all of the all of the organizations that they rent out venues to? Right? Oh, do they need to know all the ins and outs of how many times Antifa showed up to previous venues? Well, they they shouldn't be so fearful of somebody's speech. And and if Antifa Antifa was going to cause problems, then you call the authorities and you say, uh, where are they doing something uh, against, uh, you know, somebody's private property rights? Uh, and if they are if they are harassing people, then they should. Uh, you know, sit a day in, in prison for harassing somebody uh, trying to go inside the building. So, uh, so stick to the contract, you know, possibly lose business with other hotel goers because they were harassed by Antifa. Call the cops on Antifa, fine, but we all, we've seen, uh, we've seen Antifa's effectiveness against the police as well, right? The police are well, unlikely think, to get into a violent altercation with Antifa protesters. Well, I think uh, a lot of the times of they, they, they sympathize with them. That's part are the problem with with the government. So, uh, a lot of the people in the government believe the same thing as what the protesters are saying, and so they will be less likely to stop them. Right. So then I go back to the hotel side. If you if you if if you're taking that into consideration, and you know that your guests are going to be harassed, possibly uh, attacked, um, injured, a physical injury from violent Antifa protesters, if you host this organization. Um, and you weren't aware of that prior to the prior to Antifa contacting the organization, letting you know that, hey, if you guys host these other guys, we're going to tear some shit up, right? You said, is it easier to negotiate with Antifa and said, no, please, you know, this is a freedom of speech thing. We want them to speak there. If you guys want to book the venue, uh, they're not going to have any of that. They're going to put on their black masks. They're going to, you know, get their <laughs> get whatever uh, weapons of 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 protest they have to their disposal and they're just going to wreck shit in front of your hotel. Right. And if that happens, you know what you the insurance company is just going to cover all the, da all the expenses for the damage that Antifa does. Or do you look at it from a cost benefit analysis and go, the potential damage from Antifa outweighs any litigation that we're going to have to go through by canceling this organization because they may not even sue. Right. What's the better business move? What's, you know, what's, no, well, what's more cost effective? Um, not from just the hotel's side, but from the people who make the other side of an equal contract. It's damage maybe to the hotel, but it's also damage to the people you cancel a contract for. So yes, when you make a contract, you assume the responsibilities with that. That's partially a, a uh, incorporated in insurance. That's why people make insurance. Who knows you know, if somebody's going to stumble and injure themselves on the uh, coming in, they may have part of that as the insurance of. Uh, um, I would guess that hotels, especially if they know what Antifa does in Germany, they have these things built into their insurance contracts, and so yes, their their reputation may be affected, but that has to be part of their own risk assessment. When you sign on the dotted line, 
unless you've got this extraordinary out, which I assume they didn't, or else they wouldn't have even been considering legal action on it, um, then yes, you have to carry through with the contract, even if it's going to hurt your reputation. Okay, fair enough. But that they obviously didn't, right? Which is, again, why we are where we are. Um, and if you want to move this back into the realm of the theoretical, what good are contracts if you can break it with no recourse? Exactly, right. Because it's gonna, there's gonna be the damage has been done, and it's been initiated by a party that uh, uh, a third party. I mean, imagine if any contract that you make can be just undone by a third party. Say, oh well, I'm, I don't like the contract you made with that automobile company. You bought a car from them. Well, I, I don't like the idea that you bought a car from, uh, uh, from Ford. They've got some bad practices at Ford, so I'm gonna. I'm going to protest uh, out in front of Ford because you made a contract to buy it from them. And therefore, the, can the, the, the contract is invalid because a third party says they don't like you doing business with Ford. Well, I mean, clearly, that would be uh, um, way too much power to this third party. Sure, I'll do you one better. I contract a guy to build me a deck outside my back patio. Uh, and the, the state, you know, inspector comes along and says that that guy wasn't licensed and we didn't acquire the proper permits <laughs> and says that that contract's invalid and I need to tear the deck down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. So who, who adjudicates where, you know, obviously we live in a situation where third parties affect, you know, contracts all the time. That's, that's the state's role. That's the state's involvement in everything, right? Uh, you guys go to the grocery store. It's what, like a dollar ninety nine for whatever it is, and then the state intervenes and says, "Nope, you got to pay four point seven one two percent on top of that <laughs> to give us a cut." Right, right. That there's third party interference in that contract right there. How do you put an end to that? That one might be a little more hypothetical because I don't really expect an answer. But yeah, I mean, so the thir third party intervenes. What do you do? You know what's What's if 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 that can happen and there's no exit clause or there's uh, there's no arbitration clause or whatever in the contract, and if you know even if there is, if if one party is not going to abide the terms regardless because there's no there's no repercussions for doing so, what do you do, right? Um, and I'll 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 take a step back before I give you a chance to answer that and say this is one of the things that I consider to be like the baseline issue um, between all interactions. Right, any dispute that happens, uh, the the last line of of justice is always violence. Right, you either find a way to to do things peacefully, or it always resorts to violence. And so we, as a society, uh, in a, in a in an effort to not get to this violent stage, we do everything we possibly can to not have it come down to violence um, when going through the arbitration or going through some dispute resolution, right? Otherwise, it just resorts to violence. So if the hotel is going to back out of the contract and have faced no consequences, uh, either legally or financially or reputationally, then what do you do? Do they just, do they have the upper hand on every, every contract they negotiate with at that point? Is it their way or the highway? Is it like terms of service on the internet where you don't get a chance uh, to actually uh, to actually uh, refute any of the th any of the things? It's just like dope. You either take it or leave it, Buster, uh, and we can cancel you anytime. And that tough shit for you if we do, right? How do how do you operate a business like that if you have to contract with those people? Yeah, and it's often motivated by the party that would rather have the business. For example, it might it could have just as well been. Uh, the hotel across the street might say, well, we're going to send our employees out there to stage a protest uh, in front of that hotel because uh, they're doing more business than us or they got the business instead of us. So if you can just engage the, um, the power of the state just simply with uh, protests and signs, um, that's a really dangerous thing for society. Absolutely. I agree. Back to a point of agreement. But I, I think the, the, the point still exists is something something must be done, right? And whether or not whether or not your your, uh, your friend the organizer just cuts his losses at this point and says, you know what, we found another venue, we'll get everything squared away. We are never ever going to go do business with that hotel again. 
which might not even be that big of a threat, right? The hotel might go like, good, because you're just bringing the protesters with you, and we don't want that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if that's if that's the end of it, and he feels like, you know, that's the, the best case scenario is just to walk away from it, um, then so be it, right? Um, walking out of court, you know, after after being acquitted or whatever kind of feels like that as well, right? You know, you, you've been harassed by the state. Uh, they've taken up your time. They've taken up your energy. You may have hired a lawyer to pay some money. And you're off the hook, uh, you know, the th- case thrown out, uh, found innocent, whatever it happens to be. Um, but you don't get to recoup any of the time. You don't get to recoup any of that money. You don't get to recoup any of that energy uh, because to do so means you have to litigate again against the state uh, and cost you more time, more energy, more money. And for most people, right, by person, by self-included, uh, just walking out with a win, eh, small victory, even though you technically already lost. Mm. So there's no, you know, there's no winning against the state. There's just mitigating losses uh, until such a time that you're, you know, you grow weary of mitigating losses and actually go against, you know, go against them and, and, and try to take them down some other way. And even when you do that, right, say you sue the state and you win, they don't pay out, right? They, they, the taxpayers pay out. Mm. So someone else loses and it's not the organization with whom you're going up against. So how do you, how do you fight uh, against the the organization with the iron fist and overwhelming power. Okay, I think we've beaten that one to death. Have you got a right. headline or something to go to? <laughs> yeah. You ready? Sure. All right. This we we might end up starting with this one, MC, because this is uh, this is another doozy. Headline: U.S. authorities arrest Ethereum research scientist Virgil Griffith for allegedly assisting North Korea in evading sanctions. Uh, headline: Entrapment. ICE created a fake. Uh, excuse me. ICE created fake universities to lure foreign students before arresting and deporting them. Uh, headline: Her Baltimore house was raised with six days' notice. Uh, I'm mortified at how quickly this unfolded. Uh, headline: London bureaucrats kill Uber to keep passengers safe. Uh, headline: Why a wealth tax can't solve our problems. Uh, headline, more Americans want a bigger government if it's free. And finally, headline, California regulators shut down a distillery for serving alcohol. <laughs> Let, let's start with the students one, the fake students. Fake students? All right. Entrapment. ICE created fake universities to lure foreign students before arresting and deporting them. Uh, U.S. immigration authorities created fake universities, lured foreign-born students to enroll, and took large sums of their money before arresting and deporting them for immigration violations, a new report has revealed. Uh, In recent months, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, has deported 90 students enrolled in a fake Michigan-based university, uh, the Detroit Free Press reported on Wednesday. As many as 250 people, mostly from India, have been arrested since January as part of the sting operation concocted by federal agents. The scammed students had arrived in the U.S. legally on student visas, but when those were about to expire, they sought to extend them by enrolling in the University of Farmington, which was later revealed to be fake, a front operation by ICE. Uh, And then there's a whole bunch of Twitter posts uh, and and other articles in there. Uh, While the Trump story has provoked, excuse me, while the story, I don't know why I said Trump, it's it's part of one of those things. Oh yeah, one of the tweets, tweets said Trump. Uh, While the story has provoked outrage with many quick to assume that the con job was a scheme conjured up by the Trump administration. Oh, there you go. The university was actually incorporated in January 2016 during Barack Obama's presidency (laughs) and has been staffed with undercover agents pretending to be college officials ever since. About 80% of the 250 arrested students were granted voluntary departure from the country. ISIS Homeland Security Investigations told the Free Press. Another 10% had received deportation notices either from an immigration judge or U.S. Customs and Border Protection, while the remaining 10% have filed for relief or are contesting their deportation orders with the Executive Office for Immigration Review. An immigration judge granted one student not just the permission to stay in the U.S., but permanent resident status. Attorneys representing the students say they were trapped and preyed upon by the U.S. government, 
noting that the Department of Homeland Security specifically stated on its website that Farmington was a legitimate educational institution. An accredited agency is in on the scam also listed fake university as authentic, <laughs> adding a further layer of credibility to the scheme. Did they get a degree? <laughs> no, because they got deported. They didn't like they they paid the tuition though. Uh, the U.S. government reportedly collected, and here you go, millions of dollars from these swindled students. Uh, emails seen by the Free Press showed that students were forking over a uh, whopping twelve thousand dollars on average in annual fees to attend the non-existent college. However, attorneys representing ICE and the U.S. Department of Justice are arguing that the students should have known the institution was fake since it did not offer classes in a physical location and that their true intent was to play the system rather than receive an education. Yet even those who transferred out of the fake university when they realized no on-site classes were offered still ended up under arrest for immigration fraud. Uh, some of the students had actually transferred to Farmington after the school they previously attended lost accreditation, throwing their immigration status into limbo. It is not the first time the U.S. government has conned foreign students into attending a fake university. In 2016, a number of foreign students similarly claimed they were victims of a government sting after enrolling in the made-up University of Northern New Jersey, which was created to trap recruiters the government alleged were trying to help students fraudulently maintain their legal status. Uh, so there you go. End of the article. Uh, your thoughts, Ken? You said, did they at least get a, a, a degree? No, they got they, they paid the tuition and got kicked out. Uh, but your thoughts uh, on this tactic uh, for, for catching those darned illegals? It actually gives me an idea that I want to start my own fake university that doesn't turn people in. <laughs> okay. You know, oddly enough, I worked for a fake university once. Like, I, I legitimately collected a paycheck. Um, I didn't last very long because of how shady it was. Uh, and then because of the hours, uh, it was, oh man, it was like Atlantic International University, uh, right there in downtown Honolulu. And, Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Atlantic International University. In the middle of the Pacific. Right. <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, red flag number one. <laughs> that's, that's very red. <laughs> Hey, but the, uh, you you could set your own hours as long as you put in an eight hour day. Um, I would me and uh, I was hired as a recruiter, um, so we just would call students who had inquired about the university and try to get them to enroll. Um, and you know it it was it was it was online university only, right? So there was no physical location to take classes, and um, we were calling you know uh, potential students uh, across the globe, um, mostly. Uh, Africa and um, like Southeast Asia was like the the big our big pool of recruits. Uh, occasionally, someone from the U.S. would pop up on the list. Was that was rare? Um, but you know, they they said like you know this is a self directed uh, online education. You know, we provide the students resources. We we you know they graduate. You know, you can take classes here if you want to as well. Um, and it's accredited by some online uh, organization. And so we were bored one day between making phone calls and uh, me and one of my uh, recruiting coworkers decided to like to look into this a little bit more. Like, what is this accrediting agency uh, of which Atlantic International University was was being accredited through? Um, and it turned out that that was kind of a scam, too. Uh, you know, it was it was basically like, yeah, you have a you have an educational institution. Uh, you give us three thousand dollars. And you can slap on our accreditation sticker on there. So like accredited by, uh, I forget the name of it at this point, uh, accredited by, you know, whatever accrediting agency. So that's, that's how they got accredited, right? And then we went, well, let's, let's look a little bit more. Who's the, who's in charge? And I, for, I, I forget my boss's name at this point, but it, his dad was the one who like funded and founded the university to begin with. Um, and so we like, you know, looked at his history and whatever, and uh, look at that. He had a degree. Uh, in, in education. Oh, where was his degree? It was from the university that he founded. Right? So, <laughs> so, so, you know, red flag number two and maybe red flag number three. And at some point, uh, you know, we're, we're making, um, we're making our, our calls. Um, and we're, we're, you know, this is going to sound racist, but we're talking to some African dude from like Nigeria or wherever. Um, and you know, we go like, okay, you're ready to enroll. Let, let me get your credit card. 
and we get the card number and it goes all right and whose name is on the card oh it's it's my auntie's card and what's your auntie's name uh paula smith all right really matumbo <laughs> your auntie's name is paula smith and so the card doesn't go through it's like oh let me try my uncle's and it's like you know bob richardson or something like that you know <laughs> so, so these were obvious red flag number four these were obviously stolen credit cards or stolen credit card numbers that they were using uh at some point um uh, we had one, there was one girl uh, who was working there, one, uh, one woman who was working there and she was there a lot longer than us. Um, but she was like bilingual. Um, so she enrolled a lot of like, uh, Mexican and Hispanic students into the university. Cause she was the only one. She's like, she handled all those calls because she's the only one that could talk to them. Um, so yeah, so she did very well at her job there. Uh, meanwhile, I was fired after like two months or so for not getting an enrollment at all because, God damn it. <laughs> Number one, you know, I, I showed up, I made the phone calls, I got my base paycheck, uh, but there was, there was no way I was feeling like right about taking credit cards uh, that were obviously scam credit cards. Uh, so I got like, you know, I got like a, a week of probation. It's like, you got you to gotta hit your numbers this week or you're out. Uh, darned if I tried, um, failed at the end, uh, but probably for the best. I don't even know what happened to that place, uh, whether or not they're still in existence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as, as scammy of a university as you can get, but I don't know if there was any ice involvement in that. It was just a fake university. Um, and, that, and, makes, that makes a lot more sense of the, for ice or, or some government agency to find those institutions. It can't be hard to find them. Uh, rather than to create their own and okay. to have it accredited the very fact that they now that w- w- is it, it it was a legitimate accrediting association they that they got this accreditation from in other words it looked that, that way yeah okay now if that's the case i'd say number one case of fraud um well it was the u.s government for creating a a, a, a phony university and selling it as if it was. That's one case of fraud. Another case was getting a uh, a, a basic uh, accrediting association to falsely cer- certify that it was. Yeah. The, um, the article's real quick, Ken. The article, it doesn't name the accrediting agency, but it says an accreditation agency is in on the scam, also listed the fake university as authentic. So that may ha- that accrediting agency in this case may have been similar to the one uh, in my personal case where it was, you know, it showed an accreditation, but if you dug deeper into the who the who it was accredited by, uh, you would see that that was uh, fake and fraudulent as well. Please continue. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so the the government is 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 conducting a fraud in order to trick people into uh, something that they wouldn't have done if they had known the truth about it. Sure. And you know, I I'd say that. Uh, and, uh, sadly, when you when you get down to okay, well, what can they do about it? Uh, sue the government? <laughs> That's not likely in a U.S. court, you know. So the government's just. But the the, the damage here is also to the reputation and and recruitment ability of all the other institutions. Uh, you know, uh, schools all across the country are trying to recruit students, international students, and uh, I'm sure that. A lot have been deterred by a scam like this, you know, because students abroad don't know. In fact, students in this country don't know about the accreditation system. How are they going to, how do they find out about the legitimacy of the accrediting uh, standards? Most of them don't look at it. They look at a name and they, uh, and they go online and see what's, what's offered and they trust what's on the website and so on. Yep. Um, and then they send money in, you know, and I'm sure that there are a lot of scams, but uh, I think that's where the the government should be spending its efforts to uncover the uh, the frauds rather than to to start one by themselves. <laughs> Gee, if this if immigration were uh, a legitimate crime, would we be applauding this tactic? Because I've seen I've seen articles in the past of you know. Uh, the the free car giveaway right down at the, the the local firehouse or whatever where they 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 send out mailers to people with warrants saying hey you just want a free car uh, come down and pick it up and when they go down to pick up their free car they're arrested on their outstanding warrants and it's a good way to get the criminals legitimate you know or otherwise to come to you 
Um, would we be applying this tactic as well? That's that's a pretty creative way to, to get people who are committing crimes to actually turn themselves in or c- come up for air or however you want to put it. Well, since you're being theoretical about it, I'll go a step further and say, well, if it, if, if it wasn't, um, if the government wasn't so restrictive on immigration, uh, you wouldn't have so many desperate people trying to pull the, you know, take advantage of all these different uh, ways of getting around the, the quota system. Imagine if... Uh, if we did the same thing for, I don't know, restricted, I, I don't know, any, any kinds of things. Uh, uh, there, there's always going to be a black market for getting around any government rules and barriers that, that shouldn't be there in the first place. Sure. Anything else? MC? Well, I, I just, I don't understand why the government is doing that except to, to boost their numbers because you set up a fake school uh, so, some kid might be here legally and needs to be enrolled in school to be able to stay here. And then they've signed up to a fake school and then that, that's what gets them kicked out. It's, it's yeah. uh, it's, that's it's literally really, what's happening in this article. And then they blame yeah. the kids for not knowing better. Right. And so it, it's, um, it's, it's not even entrapment because that you can't prove that the kid was trying to do anything wrong or illegal. It's, it's like, uh, it's like, um, it would be like the government saying, Hey, we have this, this free car here, come take it. And then they say, Oh really? Can I? And and then uh, they get in they drive away and then they arrest them for stealing a car. Well, okay. So <laughs> <You know? laughs> here, here's a similar real life example. Uh, right. They, they, they they called it racist, but they were preying on uh, poor black in poor black communities. Yeah, right? they would I've open up the truck, before. put the shoes out just on the edge of the truck, and then just wait for for some you know poor kid to steal the shoes. Right? Is that entrapment? Well, well, that is. But uh, in in the case of the the school one, the, it it looks like somebody trying to do something, or, or could be could be viewed as legitimate. Right. Um, it says not, it in the article. The ones that were legitimate so, tried to get out, and they were arrested anyway. Right, right. Go. You had you had more thoughts on that though. Or, and so so yeah, they're they're trying to get people that are not even um, uh, trying to steal anything or trying to sure. do anything illegal. With um, all the real illegal immigration going on, they're preying on immigrants who are trying to do the, the right way. And making them turn illegal and, and creating the illegality of their situation. Right. Is that a good way to, to, to sum up what you're trying to say? Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, again, I mean, could that be considered? The, the headline of the article is, is it entrapment? Question mark? Could be, right? Because they, they well, had no intent. It's, it's worse than entrapment. It's, it's, creating, it's, 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 it's creating a criminal. Um, and so, well, sometimes not even that. It's sometimes arresting somebody who's innocent, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, cr- creating a criminal, I, I, that's my general understanding of what entrapment is, right? They, they put you in a situation to do the wrong thing, uh, even though you wouldn't otherwise have done it. Yeah. I think there's, there is a worth, it's worthy of pointing out the difference though. Like if you, okay. if you, if you do open a truck and just have stuff sitting there and somebody does take it, that's still theft. That um, is. So that's not really entrapment then. Like those, those poor kids weren't entrapped into stealing the Nikes. But they wouldn't. The Nikes wouldn't be there if uh, if it wasn't for the government. So it's, that is true. It's, it's still, the, the government created that that situation. Um, yeah, the FBI so anyway. creates terrorists all the time, right? True. Find find some poor little uh, you know Middle Eastern kid and pump him full of ideas, give him money, give him weapons, and then foil the plot uh, before he has a chance to go through what they were telling him to do in the first place. What was what was the other one the 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 last one or second to last article? Uh, more Americans want bigger government if it's free. That one. No. Nope. Uh, California regulators shut down a distillery for serving alcohol. Yeah, that one. <laughs> right. Give me a second here. All right, we'll do this one quickly because we're also pressed for time. Uh, California regulators shut down a distillery for serving alcohol. Uh, Blinking Owl, a small craft distillery located in Santa Ana, California, outside Los Angeles, temporarily and non-voluntarily closed its doors last week. 
will be closed the following days, Sunday, uh, November 10th to Saturday, December 7th, and Saturday, December 14th. A message posted atop the Blinking Owl website laments. Further down the homepage, the distillery, which holds a California craft distiller's license, known as a Type 74 license in state regulatory parlance, goes into great detail about the saga behind the temporary closure which appeared to result from little else than confusing regulations and inconsistent instructions from regulators. While Type 74 licenses states that distilleries can only serve up to 1.5 ounces of alcohol per person per day, we are allowed to have private events in which the drink restriction is waived, Blinking Owl explains. It is under this section of the code which many small distilleries in the state have found a much-needed revenue source by hosting private events or functions. To that end, we segregated private events with wristbands, something we believe the public was accustomed to and well understood the meaning of, and we subsequently operated in a manner we understood to be in complete compliance. That seemed eminently reasonable, but what seems eminently reasonable to a business often strikes regulators who are interpreting the same oftentimes poorly worded regulation that businesses are, but with an eye to punishing scoff laws as something entirely different. Just how the temporary closure came about demonstrates this fact. Before making his first undercover visit, according to his account, ABC Trade Enforcement Officer Eric Gray did not speak with anyone at Blinking Owl about being part of a private party. When he arrived at the distillery, he was served one drink and was told Blinking Owl could not serve him another legally. He paid and left. Before his next visit, Agent Gray called Blinking Owl. He was told this met the requirement for being considered a private party. After arriving at the distillery, Blinking Owl confirmed Gray had called ahead to be placed on a private party guest list and was served a second drink. It was this second visit that caused Agent Gray to conclude Blinking Owl had violated ABC rules, allegedly by exceeding the amount of 1.5 ounces of distilled spirits that is permitted to be served per person per day by selling two separate cocktails to department agents that contained 1.5 ounces in each drink. For this purported transgression, the state chose last week to punish Blinking Owl by forcing the distillery to close for 25 days. Uh, the fact that Blinking Owl received prior warning and discipline and continued to circumvent and shirk its clear responsibilities is disconcerting, wrote Administrative Law Judge D. Hubel in a disconcerting June 2019 order that was necessitated, if at all, only by the fact that those clear responsibilities were never clear. Where did a Blinking Owl get the idea that a person could be served more than 1.5 ounces if they were to call ahead to be placed on some sort of private party guest list? It may have been from the regulators themselves. Uh, it turns out Blinking Owl had previously been cited a year earlier for serving more than 1.5 ounces to one undercover ABC agent, Plotnik. In his report, as evidence in support of his allegation, Plotnik noted that he could not have been part of a private party because he had not called ahead to be placed on a guest list at the distillery. I spoke, with, I spoke this week by email with Brian Christensen, who, with his wife and close friend, opened Blinking Owl in 2016. A frustrated Christensen tells me that he and his fellow owners have invested at least $3 million in the distillery. He says the state's strong prohibition hangover is pretty shocking in this day and age. His customers agree. These laws largely serve no purpose other than to ensnare small business owners and produce fines for agencies that struggle to justify their own existence. Reason subscriber and Blinking Owl supporter Robbie Haglund, who alerted me to the distillery's regula regulatory woes, told me in this email this week. Blinking Owl isn't alone in finding fault with the enforcement of California's craft distillery rules. At least one other California distiller I spoke with this week who did not want me to use their name or that of their distillery for fear of reprisal from the state alcohol regulators say they've been targeted by state regulators in a similar fashion in recent years. I reached out to undercover state ABC Trade Enforcement Officer Eric Gray this week by email to ask him about the seemingly subjective nature of the rules he's charged with enforcing, namely the criteria that states ABC used to determine whether a distillery is holding a permissible private event and or function or an impermissible one agent or an impermissible one. Agent Gray did not reply. The fact regulators have targeted more than just blinking owl suggests an urgent need for regulatory reform. It is our hope that this campaign awakens lawmakers and state officials to realize the absurdity of inflicting a harsh, unjust punishment when it is obvious that we are chasing legal clarification on a vague, 
undefined section of the law that is currently based in constantly changing opinion, Christensen tells me. In the end, Christensen just wants the state to treat Blinking Isle, its employees, and its customers fairly. Ultimately, we want parity with the wine and beer industry, he tells me, since in California, brewery and winery rules are friendlier for businesses and consumers alike. But in the short term, we would like the ability to use our tasting room privileges to serve more and sell more product direct to consumers to create more revenue to help us survive and thrive as a small California business. I hope he gets his wrists. So do others. Christensen tells me Blinking Owl customers and the general public have been incredibly supportive of the distillery. The owners of Blinking Owl are some of the nicest, most generous, and honest people I have ever met, Robbie Haglund says. They are the type of entrepreneurs we need in this country. They care about their business, their employees, their customers, and the community. Christensen tells me he spoke with lawmakers who he says have been receptive to his complaints and appear optimistic they can engineer a fix. Uh, the will to reform the rules may just be there. As recently as last year, California lawmakers saw fit to ease some of the regulatory burden the state places on small craft distilleries. Clearly, though, the state has a long way to go before Blinking Owl and other craft distillers in California will feel like the state isn't rooting for them to fail. Uh, end of the article. Uh, so your thoughts, MC? Is 1.5 enough to get a taste of what the distillery has to offer? Um, I... I don't know. I I think it's silly that there's any restriction at all, and uh, government busybodies are you know doing the same thing as the the previous one. You know, creating problems where uh, there wouldn't be problems uh, if the government wasn't there. Yep. Ken, thoughts? Is he still with he, us? He agrees. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> if if you nod your head, I can't see it. <laughs> So yeah, uh, so so in this case, right there, there's clearly a loophole uh, in the rule, and that anyone, you know, so if you like, if you walk out of this, if you just, if you knew you're going to go to this place, and you, you you're vaguely aware of this, right, you could pull into the parking lot, call, ask for a private event, you know, they said private event for one, please, uh, and just go in and get around it. So the fact that any type of restriction is placed upon single individuals uh, going into the tasting room. Right. Like, I guess if you're only if they only brew like one one beverage, right, one drink is probably enough. You can get a taste. Right. But like, you know, wineries and other craft uh, breweries or whatever, I'm sure they serve a variety of different beers or, or drinks. Um, and how are you going to know which one you want to walk out and purchase, uh, you know, from them if you can only taste one per day? Right. Who's got a week to just, oh, yeah, we're going to go back and try the other one. Oh, we're going to go back and try the other one. Seems like nonsense uh, to me. Yeah, but, but at least, but at least the the government employees have jobs. Oh yeah, because because someone has to, right? right? All right. Anything else? Nope. Ken, final nope. thoughts? Nope. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right, that'll do it for us then. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to continue tribute to the show financially uh, you can do so, do so through patreon patreon.com slash the anarchist experience thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week peace okay